Bonnie Glaser, director of the Asia Program at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. On November 4th, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited China, marking the first time that a leader of a G7 country traveled to China to meet China's leader Xi Jinping since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in early 2020, and since Xi Jinping secured a third term in power at the 20th Party Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. This was Schultz's and Xi Jinping's first in-person meeting since Schultz took over the chancellery from longtime leader Angela Merkel in 2021. This year marks 50 years of diplomatic relations between China and Germany. Schultz's visit to China was highly controversial, both within Germany and in the European Union. To assess the outcomes of Chancellor Schultz's trip, and Germany's policy toward China, I'm delighted to have with us today Noah Barkin. Noah is a visiting senior fellow at the German Marshall Fund, and in his day job, he is managing editor at the Rhodium Group's China Practice. Noah writes about European policy toward China in his monthly newsletter called Watching China in Europe. Welcome to the China Global Podcast, Noah. Thanks, Bonnie. Great to be talking to you. So let's start by talking about why Chancellor Schultz's trip was so widely criticized, even before he departed uh, Germany. And why did he choose to visit China at this particular time? Well, I think there were three main criticisms of the trip. The first had to do with the timing. Schultz made this trip a little over a week after the conclusion of the 20th Communist Party Congress, uh, where uh, China's leader Xi Jinping tightened his iron grip on the party, pushing out moderates, elevating loyalists. And Schultz and Xi are both going to see each other at the G20 summit in Bali in mid-November. Xi will also be meeting U.S. President Joe Biden there. So some people have questioned why Schultz chose to make this special one-day trip out to Beijing when he was going to be in Asia 10 days later and seeing Xi at the G20. So the optics of that, I think, were not great. The second criticism was that Schultz brought a business delegation of 12 CEOs with him. This gave the impression of sort of business as usual at a time when his own government has promised a pretty significant shift in Germany's approach to China. Schultz's foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, is working on a new China strategy, which is going to be focused on the risks of Germany's close economic ties to China and is expected to stress the need to reduce dependencies on China. I don't think there's any question that the decision to bring a business delegation has sort of undermined that message. It suggests that the chancellor is not fully on board with his own government's China strategy. And I think the final criticism surrounded Schultz's decision just a week before the trip to force through approval of a deal by Chinese shipping giant Costco for a stake in one of the container terminals in the Hamburg port, Germany's biggest port. Schultz was mayor of Hamburg for seven years, and he forced through this deal against the will of half a dozen ministers in his own government, Germany's intelligence services, the European Commission, key German allies. So regardless of whether you see this deal itself as a problem, I think the timing was pretty bad. It looked like a gift for Xi Jinping right before the trip. Why did he choose to go? I think 
you know, Schultz has been chancellor for nearly a year, hasn't had the opportunity to sit down with Xi yet. So in a way, this meeting was overdue. I think a major motivation was to convey German concerns about the war in Ukraine and the risks of an escalation. There's a great deal of concern in Berlin and other European capitals that Vladimir Putin, who has been suffering setbacks on the battlefield, could resort to using tactical nuclear weapons. And I think Schultz saw it as a priority to secure a message from China that it would frown upon an escalation of the war. I think another motivation was to send a message that Germany remains committed to the economic relationship with China. The German economy has suffered a shock because it's no longer receiving cheap Russian gas and oil. And against this backdrop, also at a time when members of his own government, the media, key German allies are urging a rethink of bilateral economic ties. I think he wanted to send a message that he is not going to go too far in this direction. He repeats the phrase, no decoupling quite often. And I think this is also why he brought a business delegation with him. So you've talked a little bit about some of the things that Chancellor Schultz hoped to achieve. And he wrote this article that was published in Politico before he departed on the trip. I understand he met with some China experts in Germany and they uh, suggested to him that he write this to tell the world, and of course Germans in particular, why he was going to China. And he said in that article, it is precisely because business as usual is not an option in these circumstances that I'm traveling to Beijing. So do you think he was conveying a message that he was going to pursue a uh, very different policy. Germany now has different interests than it's had in the past. Did he really think that he could, you know, balance between these commercial interests and sending those kinds of messages? And other than the emphasizing Ukraine and talking about the importance of signaling to Putin that he should never use tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine, what else do you think he really wanted to achieve in this visit? Well, it's a good question, Bonnie. I think the difficulty is delivering some of these more contentious messages, whether it's on Xinjiang or Taiwan or China's coercion against Lithuania, when you have a dozen CEOs sitting in the next room, because that really sends a message. This is, you know, we're here to do business. I think that Schultz does want to convey the message that it's not business as usual, that he's not a carbon copy of Angela Merkel. We have to acknowledge that a lot has taken place over the past few years since Merkel was last in Beijing. That was September 2019. We've had the pandemic. We've had wolf warriors. We've had mass diplomacy. We've had Hong Kong, war in Ukraine, a whole litany of problematic issues between not only Germany and China, but Europe and China and China and the West. So I think Schultz has given this message. It's not going to be business as usual, but the message he sent with this trip was that it was. I think, you know, he did talk about a lot of issues that Merkel had never talked about in China. He gave a long list. I touched on some of them, Xinjiang, China's zero COVID policies, Beijing's coercion against Lithuania, its sanctions against European parliamentarians and think tanks. 
I don't recall Merkel rolling out a list of problematic issues in Beijing in the way that Schultz did. That is partly because there weren't quite as many <laughs> contentious issues three years ago as there are now. I think it's to Schultz's credit that he raised these issues. I think it's important that he did, but I don't think we should be under any illusions that it's going to lead to a change in China's policies. And of course, we should add to that list that he did say at the press conference with Prime Minister Li Keqiang that force should not be used against Taiwan. Essentially, the status quo should not be changed through use of force. And I think that was a very, very important message. So how was the visit viewed and its positives and negatives? How is it viewed in Germany and how is it viewed in the rest of Europe? Well, I think the positives are that Schultz secured the message from China that it opposed an escalation of the war in Ukraine. I think the message of concern he delivered about China's saber-rattling with Taiwan was important. You just mentioned that. A minor a sort of bonus was that he was able to secure a pledge from Beijing to allow foreigners in China to make use of the BioNTech COVID vaccine. That's certainly positive, although I have my doubts about whether China will ever allow Western vaccines for its own population. On the negative side, we've touched on some of these issues, but let me sum it up this way. A lot of people in Germany and among the country's key allies in Europe saw this as a step backward, as a sign that while members of the German government are pushing for a more clear-eyed approach to China, that the person at the top of the German government does not see the need for major change. So if we look at how this went down among some of Germany's European allies, there was a great deal of concern about Schultz going there with a business delegation. I think many saw this as a sort of Germany first trip, not a Europe first trip. As Schultz's coalition government put it in its governing blueprint, the coalition agreement that the three parties sealed when this government came into power in December of last year stated very clearly that Germany wanted to push for a more European approach, a more united Europe in dealing with China. Most of the signals, I think, around this trip were that Schultz was mainly focused on Germany's interests, especially the business delegation. We know that Emmanuel Macron, the French president, asked Schultz about going to Beijing together. Schultz said no to that. I'm sure if the leaders of Germany and France went together, this would have pissed off the Eastern Europeans and the Southern Europeans. It's hard to get the formula right in terms of who in Europe should, should be speaking to Beijing. But my sense is that this was not a sort of a trip which fostered greater European unity vis-a-vis -vis China. Rather, it left Schultz's own government more divided than it was. It left Germany and France sort of sparring over the trip. And I think within the G7, it probably caused some concerns in places like Washington and Tokyo. So Schultz did not send messages that he was taking seriously this pledge in the German coalition agreement to take a more European approach. Well, I do want to talk about the China strategy that's being written in Berlin. But before I do that, I want to flip it around, just get a sort of your brief assessment as to what you think President Xi Jinping got out of the trip. Clearly, the Chinese would like to drive wedges between the United States and its allies. Do you think that Xi Jinping got 
anything? And what does an ideal China-German relationship look like from his perspective? And did this trip advance that vision? Well, I think for Xi, this was all about geopolitical signaling. You had the leader of the biggest European country flying in to Beijing right after the party congress. This is perhaps a bit of a slap at the United States. It sends the message that China is not isolated. It sends the message that Europe still wants to do business with China. And it leaves the government in Berlin, the European Union, the G7 more divided on China. So all of that, I think, will be seen in Beijing as a positive. I think from Beijing's perspective, this is what they want to see from Germany. They don't want to see a Germany that is siding too closely with the United States. Beijing talks about European strategic autonomy more than European officials these days. They want an independent Germany and an independent Europe that is pursuing its own course with China, independent from the United States. So the messages that Schultz was sending, no decoupling, for example, are messages that really will be welcomed in Beijing. Yes, the Chinese do like that term, strategic autonomy. They like to define it, too. (laughs) So the China strategy, the government in Germany is going to release first the national security strategy and then the China strategy next year. And I understand that the German Federal Foreign Office has the pen. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what role the chancellery will play in shaping that strategy and whether this document can resolve the differences in the coalition and the government and result in a more coherent approach to China? Or would that be expecting too much? Well, I think the process of writing a national security strategy and a China strategy can be helpful. I think it forces everyone to think about Germany's international relationships, what its interests are, what it wants from these relationships. And I think one needs to recognize that this is not something that Germany is used to doing. It has never written a national security strategy before. You know, it can also be helpful internally. It provides signaling to ministries so they're not all doing their own thing. I think this was a problem under Merkel that people in the government did not have clear guidelines on how to deal with their Chinese interlocutors. But I don't think the strategies resolve the differences in the coalition. I think we have a pretty significant divide at the moment between the chancellery on the one hand and the ministries that are led by the Greens on the other. And I think we will be seeing contradictory signals on China for some time. I think that's unfortunate for Europe, which has been moving closer on China. But I think if the German chancellor is not pushing strongly for a more united European approach, it's going to be difficult to move forward in Europe. So I'm curious, based on the conversations you've had with officials in Germany, what you think is going to be in the China strategy? You know, is it going to emphasize the systemic rival component of EU strategy? For example, we've recently heard the finance minister say that the China strategy will designate China as an important trading partner, but also label the Chinese Communist Party as a systemic rival. So that sort of sounds like they're trying to bridge all of their interests, including the cooperation side. So what do you expect to see in the China strategy? What have you heard so far? 
Well, my understanding is that the foreign ministry now has a draft that the foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, is happy with. I think this will be circulated at some point. We know that the national security strategy has priority. We expect that to be unveiled based on what people have told me in time for the Munich Security Conference, which is usually held in mid-February. And I think we'll probably see the China strategy at some point in the spring, maybe March or April. And both of these will be public strategies. There was some debate about whether the China strategy should be a confidential strategy as it is in the U.S. And we all saw Secretary of State Antony Blinken a few months ago get up and present the main planks of that strategy in a speech, but the strategy remains confidential. I think in Germany, the conclusion was we can't afford to have a confidential strategy. Everything has to be very transparent. That's just the way the, the German political system works. If we look at the strategy itself, I don't think we're going to see major surprises. You know, we've had a very intense debate about the China relationship that's been carried out in public, you know, interviews with the ministers and in the media. So I think we will see an echo of the language that the European Commission unveiled back in March 2019, the holy trinity of partner economic competitor, systemic rival. I think that will appear in the German strategy, perhaps a signal that the relationship is moving more in the direction of uh, competition and rivalry and less in the direction of partnership. I think it will be about bolstering relationships with like-minded partners in the Indo-Pacific. It will signal that Germany is more focused on the risks of its economic ties to China rather than focus on the opportunities, which was, I think, the main way that the economic relationship was understood for many years. And so I don't think we should expect big surprises from it, but it will sort of codify what has been discussed in recent months in public which is a fundamental need to rethink the relationship with China after all the setbacks and concerns that the German government and European governments more broadly have about the direction of travel in Beijing. How would you assess the importance of the variable of the Ukraine war in Germany's approach to China and going forward? Is it really decisive? How is it shaping Germany's relationship with China? People have asked me whether this is an inflection point. I don't see it as an inflection point. I think we're perhaps in a new phase, but I think Germany's approach to China has been evolving for, you know, maybe half a decade, growing more skeptical, more critical, and this adds another layer. I think it has changed the German debate on China, the Russia's invasion of Ukraine for three main reasons. Germany obviously was heavily dependent on Russia for oil and gas. Those sources have now been cut off and Germany is paying a heavy economic price for that. Its dependence on China is far greater than its dependence on Russia. So there is a realization that depending on a geopolitical rival may not be a good idea. Hence the discussion about reducing dependencies. A related point is that German companies had to pack up and leave Russia almost overnight because of the war and because of the sanctions that ensued. If China were to invade Taiwan or take other actions which led to a, a conflict in the Taiwan Strait, German companies would 
also feel pressure to leave China that could result in sanctions, just as it did with Russia. And that would be devastating because some of the biggest companies in Germany depend very heavily on the Chinese market. So I think Ukraine has also heightened the awareness of risks related to Taiwan. And third has been China's support for Russia, the No Limits Partnership that was sealed between Putin and Xi just before the invasion, Chinese support for Russian narratives around the war, blaming NATO. So this has also been a bit of an eye-opener, I think, here in Berlin. But it's also true that there are people in the government, and I've heard this from people close to Schultz, who play down the significance of the China-Russia link. I often hear the phrase, China is not Russia. Now, I think we all agree China is not Russia, but that message, I think, can be dangerous if it means complacency towards this strategic partnership or whatever you want to call it between Xi and Putin. It was interesting, the head of the German Foreign Intelligence Agency, the BND, testified in parliament a few weeks ago and was quite frank. He said he's been warning German politicians for years about both Russia and China and has the feeling that they only want to think in terms of best case scenarios. So I think that is still a risk in Germany. I think there is still some thinking in parts of the German government that China is not Russia. China does not pose anywhere near the same threat. So I think the war in Ukraine has certainly changed the debate, but there are still pockets within Berlin who are resistant to the idea that a broad sort of geopolitical rethink is required because of this partnership between Russia and China. Taiwan is certainly getting more attention from governments around the world, including in Europe and in Berlin. And we know that there was a parliamentary delegation from the Bundestag that traveled to Taiwan just before Chancellor Schultz was in Beijing. And that delegation, of course, met with President Tsai Ing-wen. I'm curious how you think Germany's policy toward Taiwan has changed, if at all, and how much space there is going forward for change? Do you think the trajectory is that there will be more official engagements between Germany and Taiwan? Or do you think that Germany is likely to be very cautious, in part because of the potential blowback that they could get from Beijing? Yeah, I mean, that is a big question, Bonnie. I think there is a realization that you can't simply put your head in the sand and hope for the best. I think, as I just discussed, the war in Ukraine has sort of raised the risks or raised the awareness of the risks related to to Taiwan. At the European level, there is some thinking going on about this, scenario planning, etc. I think member states, including Germany, which were very reluctant to talk about Taiwan, even in private to some extent, out of fear of angering Beijing in the past, are coming around. I think there is still a lot of concern about provoking China, though, I think. We've seen some Bundestag delegations, as you say, pass through Taipei over the past month or so. We haven't seen German government officials going. There was a planned visit by a a state secretary in the economy ministry earlier this year that was canceled in the weeks after the Pelosi visit because I think it was determined that this would be too provocative or escalatory at a time when everybody was quite unsettled by China's reaction to, to the Pelosi visit. So I think overall the government here is still quite risk averse. 
but they are now, I think, on board with a broader European discussion on this. I think that discussion will not be carried out in public. I think they want to talk more about Taiwan in private and perhaps talk less about it in public. We'll see how that evolves. One other point is that I think there is a great deal of concern in Europe about the direction of policy in Washington. I think particularly concern about a Republican majority, for example, in the House of Representatives pushing a more aggressive and perhaps provocative line on Taiwan. It's still unclear how the majorities in Congress are going to play out. But this is something that the Europeans are concerned about. And I think they want to get their heads around the risks and begin the process of contingency planning, but they don't want to do anything that could possibly escalate this situation. So essentially what you're saying is that the outcome of the midterm elections in the United States may make transatlantic cooperation on China more difficult? Well, we'll have to see how things play out, Bonnie. But uh, I think if you get a more provocative Congress on the Taiwan issue, which I think is perhaps a risk, then this is going to make people in Europe uneasy. We've been talking with Noah Barkin, who's a visiting senior fellow with the German Marshall Fund and managing editor at the Rhodium Group's China Practice. Thanks so much for joining us, Noah. Great to talk to you, Bonnie. Thanks for having me.